0: My name is Greg Kodrowski. and this is my podcast, Theology 101. I like to study the Bible, and I don't think the Bible is really that difficult to understand. For the most part, it's really pretty simple, and simple is better. So if you're like me, and you want to know more about the Bible, or if you just want to hear more about the Bible, stick around. And if you want to know more about me or check out my pedigree, Google me, or visit my website, Theology101.net. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. We are finishing up our study on the biblical philosophy of discipleship. How about that? Um, This is uh, episode 19, and so 19 episodes we have been talking about what the Bible says about discipleship. And uh, this is going to be it. This is going to wrap it up. I've got a couple other things in mind to kind of uh, dovetail on this. I want to talk a little bit more after this episode about the Great Commission and its implications for us, the Great Commission in its uh, proper context, its chronological context, or its cumulative context, if we could call it that. But right now, look, we know what discipleship is. We have taken a long time look at what the Bible says about discipleship, and we've kind of put the concept together with Luke 6.40, that's 6, uh, chapter 6, verse 40, 4 in Romans 8.29. In Romans 6.40, it's where Jesus says, you know, the disciple is not above his master, but the disciple has been perfected, he shall be as his master. And I know I paraphrase that But the idea is this, that a disciple follows a master. We follow Jesus Christ as his disciples, as followers of Christ, so that we can be like him. And uh, being like him means we are being like the perfect man. And so God's in the process of making us like Jesus Christ. He's making us like the perfect man. He is perfecting us. And that's Romans eight twenty nine. that we are all predestined uh, to be conformed to the image of Christ. That word predestined, don't let it throw you. It just means a predetermined destination, Pre destination, predestination. And so God has not determined the beginning. He has not predetermined who gets saved and who doesn't. He has predetermined the destination, that all those who want to be saved, he will save, and once we are saved, he predetermines our destination. And that predetermined destination is to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so discipleship is all of that, discipleship is that spiritual growth process. It's a it's the process of becoming like Jesus, both in character and conduct. And so, discipleship begins with evangelism, because it begins with salvation, then it continues through edification. Now, it continues, it's a lifelong process, because it's basically God restoring his lost image in a lost man. And that image is not fully restored until we are fully conformed to the image of Christ. Body, soul, in spirit. And so Philippians 1.6 indicates when that will happen, that God will complete the work that he began in us in the rapture and the resurrection when Jesus Christ comes back for his bride. So don't think that discipleship is a special course that you take in church. It's not a new members course. It's not something that, ooh, the big spiritual elite take, and they're, they're the ones who are the disciplers and all of that. No, you're a disciple if you're saved. If you're saved, you're a Christian. You've repented of your sin. You've placed your faith and trust in Christ. You're a disciple, and you're in the process of discipleship. And God is in the process of conforming you to the image of His Son. And so, we've seen that biblical this this idea of of, of biblical discipleship is basically made up of of two those two large works. Okay, evangelism and edification. And I think I think I've kind of made the point. Uh, several times or, or tried to emphasize at least that we need to get away from divorcing evangelism from discipleship. It is a grave error because it it gives the carnal that gives our old man license to not be involved in evangelism. Because the great commission that God gave us is to go and make disciples, be disciples, make disciples, that kind of thing, right? And so if we can divorce evangelism from discipleship, then we can, com- we can fulfill the great commission within the comfortable four walls of our churches. And that is not what God wants. God says, go out into the highways and the byways, I mean, we need to go sow the seed on, on good ground, on thorny ground, on stony ground, you know, everywhere we can, we need to evangelize. And I understand evangelism is difficult. It's not difficult to understand, but it's difficult to do, especially with consistency and that's why we should never divorce evangelism with discipleship because our old man will take that and run with it and what we need to do is get under our bodies and make them subservient to our master the Lord Jesus Christ discipleship okay discipleship is the process of evangelism and edification because a disciple be, or a, a lost man becomes a disciple through evangelism so we make disciples, new disciples, evangelizing the lost. And then we take our new converts and we help them to grow in Jesus Christ, and that's the process of edification, a process that lasts the rest of our life or until Jesus Christ comes back for us in the rapture and the resurrection. We need to be edified in Christ. We need to be built up in him. We need to spiritually grow. And so let's, let's stop using these two terms as if they were separate, evangelism and discipleship, because it communicates very wrong doctrine. And our old man will take that very wrong doctrine and really run with it, because it's far more fun and comfortable to sit down with a muffin or two and coffee, black for me, thank you, and talk about the Bible and edify ourselves around a Bible study. I love that. I could do that all day long. And if you say you're not a muffin man, well, grab me a donut and I will be your friend. But we also need to evangelize. And I'm sorry, the the work of evangelism, especially intentional and systematic evangelism, is often very uncomfortable. It's very intimidating. It can get dirty and gritty out on the streets talking with lost people. But God wants us to preach the gospel to every creature. Therefore, we must be involved in intentional evangelism. And so when we studied this, when we studied biblical evangelism, we saw that evangelism has both means and goals, okay? That means and goals, remember? The means of, evangel- of evangelism, the means are these, the, these big components to the process through which God takes a sinner in order to make him a saint. We have first a personal conviction of the sinner, that's a work of God. You have the preaching of the cross to the sinner, that's our job. You have the conversion of the sinner through repentance and faith, and then you have the regeneration of the sinner uh, by the Spirit of God, and all of that entails justification, the forgiveness of sins, and all of that. So four broad means, four big components, the conviction of the sinner, the preaching of the cross, the conversion of the sinner, regeneration of the sinner, and then we got a saved person. And so within these means, a lot of the work is God's work, because he's the one that gives the increase, 1 Corinthians 3.6. But, but also, there's something that we need to do, and these are the goals of evangelism. The goals of evangelism are what God expects of us. In all of this process of saving a sinner, and this process of the means, these big components of how a sinner becomes a saint, these goals really are our part in the process of making a new disciple. What does God want us to do? He wants us to go and preach. I mean, we took uh, we spent a lot of time talking about this. So I are going to spend a lot of time talking about you know, how simple it is, but how difficult it can be to go. We need to intentionally seek out sinners, okay, just like Jesus did. Where do the sinners go? Uh, where do the sinners congregate? Where can you find the sinners? We can go door to door. We can go to uh, concerts. We can go, I don't know. We can, A lot of things we can do, but we've got to go. we got to get out, intentionally seek out sinners. And then when we get there and we find a sinner, we need to preach the gospel to him. Okay, and that simply means to communicate the gospel message, the message of the cross to those sinners that we find when we go. So go and preach. And then and then in our last episode, we started to look uh, at well, actually the last two episodes, we were looking at biblical edification. And biblical edification, just like biblical evangelism, has both means and goals. Okay, the means of edification, and this is what we saw in our last two episodes. These, again, are the components, the big parts, the steps of spiritual growth, this process through which God takes us to conform us to the image of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's five means. Identify with Christ, knowledge of the Bible, obedience to the Bible, suffering, and an exchanged life. So we first need to identify with Christ. We need to stop thinking of ourselves as members of this society, as, yes, I'm a cop, yes, I'm a lawyer, yes, I'm a doctor, yes, I'm a uh, I don't know, carpenter, uh, laborer, truck driver. No, I'm a Christian. Okay, that's that's our identification with Christ. I am a Christian. We need to set our eyes and affection on things above. Identify with Christ, and then we need to grow in the knowledge of the Bible. And I hope I made, I hope I made enough emphasis um, on this that we we need to learn the Bible, and and we should never stop learning the Bible. I mean, that should should be a lifelong hobby for us, reading the Bible, reading good books about the Bible, going to a church that teaches us the Bible, that preaches the Bible to us. We need to grow in our knowledge and understanding of the content of the book that God gave us. It's called the Word of God. And yet you know as well as I do that knowledge of the Bible isn't enough. We need to obey what we know. And so it's it's that 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 kind of I don't know, call it what you want, that phrase that I've been repeating, you know, learn the Bible and do what it tells you. Learn the Bible and do what it tells you. That That's a great summation of the Christian life. And so identify with Christ, grow in your knowledge of the Scripture, obey what you're learning, and then endure suffering. Because suffering is that furnace of earth, the furnace of earth that God uses to basically— Heat us up, and once we heat up like silver, the dross floats to the top, right? And then you scrape off the dross, and then heat it up again, and more dross comes to the top, and you scrape that off, and it's just a process of purifying the silver or the gold or whatever metal you're trying to purify. And God does that with us through suffering. He sticks us into the, to the furnace of earth. We suffer, and if we endure faithfully—now, that's the key—we need to endure faithfully— Remain faithful to God, walking with God, spending our time alone with God in the Bible and prayer. Um, you know, working on evangelizing. You know, knowledge of the Bible, obedience, identifying with Christ. Be consistent in that, even through suffering. We'll come out on the other end, and we'll see that God has used that suffering to scrape off some of the dross and uh, the filth of our lives and make us more purified, more like Christ. And in that, we came to the fifth uh, means, the exchanged life, and that really talks to us about consistency. We need to be consistent in our identification with Christ, consistent in our growth and our our learning and obeying the Bible, consistent, especially in suffering. Even if, okay, if you're suffering, if you're going through a time in a valley, you're not on a mountaintop, then then just, I mean, stick with it. Stay in the Bible. Read the Bible. If that's all you can do, you say, man, I am so down. I'm so beat up. I'm so uh, depressed, downtrodden. I don't know what it is. Read the Bible every day. Okay. Just get up in the morning, read the Bible every day. Just keep walking with the Lord. Just even if that's all you can do, be consistent. Okay. Because that's our exchange life. We need to follow Christ. So, those are the broad means, those big components of spiritual growth. And now, in this episode, what I'd like to do is finish up our study of, of discipleship. Okay, we're we're doing discipleship, but we're talking about this biblical philosophy of discipleship. How does it how does how does that actually happen? We're going to look at the goals of edification. Goals. What's our part? This is our part in growing in Christ's likeness. This is our part in helping others to grow. And and these goals, there's four of them. These goals really um, they deal with one major thing: commitment. Okay, commitment. We need to first commit to the word of god we need to commit to a local church in third place we need to commit to the fellowship of the saints and then finally we need to commit to ministry and and I want to talk to you just briefly before we dive into each and each each of these four goals I just want to mention briefly about the cost of discipleship you know I know was it Bonhoeffer that wrote that book on the cost of discipleship and that kind of thing and there's a lot of people that have written a lot of things about the cost of discipleship but this aspect of the process, of this discipleship, this aspect is going to become very, very important to understand what I want to talk about in this episode. What is the cost of discipleship? You know, you ask yourself, what is the price we have to pay to grow in Christ? Listen to what's, what it says in Luke chapter 14. It's kind of long, but it's verses 25 to 30, uh, 33. Luke 14, 25. You'll recognize this passage. The Bible says, there went a great multitudes with him, with Jesus Christ, and he, Christ, turned and said unto them. So you have a whole big multitude following Jesus Christ, and he turns around and he says, verse 26, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, verse 28, here is the, here's, Here's the key, okay? For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it. So there's a cost that somebody has to pay to edify to build the tower, okay? Verse 29, lest happily after he hath laid the foundation, and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him. Saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. And he finishes up the passage saying, Oh, what king, or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand, or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my disciple. And so we're talking about the the cost what does it cost us to build what god wants us to build we want to be built up in christ paul says in 1st corinthians 3 using that metaphor of the temple that the foundation has already been laid that foundation is jesus christ now each of us is building upon that foundation we have other believers that help us in that edification process and we also contribute to it so so what's what do we have to pay to make this this building grow how do we edify what's the cost now obviously God gives the increase. Okay, 1 Corinthians 3.6. Nobody's disputing that. God saves us. God sanctifies us. God makes us grow. But just as obvious in the call to follow me is the implication of commitment. That's just what we read in Luke 14. Follow me. What does that mean? That means stop following everything you want to follow and follow Jesus Christ. You see, the cost of discipleship the price we pay to follow Christ, to be disciples, and then to make other disciples, is commitment. See, in salvation, think about it, you commit to Christ, if I could use that word. You commit to follow him instead of sin and self. That means you repent of your sin and you place your faith and trust in Christ. You commit to him, and that commitment manifests itself in that conversion from sin and self to Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, the commitment doesn't save you. Jesus Christ save you, saves you. But, but that commitment is what is required of the sinner: repentance and faith. Commit to follow Him instead of sin and self. That's the condition that has been placed on, on us by God to save us. And so, today in this episode, we're going to see that commitment is what will make the difference between a growing disciple and a stagnant disciple. Commitment is going to be the difference between mediocrity and maturity. Again, now, it's not our commitment that makes us grow. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. God gives the increase, but without commitment on our part, God will give no increase. That's just how he designed this thing if it weren't this way, there would be no goals. There would be no goals in evangelism because God would do it all. There would be no command to go and preach because I'm telling you, there must be a very serious commitment to be consistent in going and preaching the gospel to the lost. Else if there is no commitment, you're not going to go and preach. And so the very fact that we have goals... Commands that God gave us in the ministry of evangelism means that it requires commitment on our behalf to do what God told us to do, and then God will do the rest. And it's the same way with edification. God has given us specific goals that He wants us to accomplish so that He can give the increase. If we don't commit in these four areas, I'll guarantee you're going to be a mediocre, stagnant Christian. So look, here we go. Greater growth requires greater commitment. Steady growth requires steady commitment. If you want to always and continually grow in Jesus Christ, be consistent in your commitment. Because the day we decide that we don't want to commit anymore, or the day we decide we're just not going to live that 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 constant commitment in these four areas, I'll tell you what, That's the day we stop growing. And if you look at it from the flip side, if you are not satisfied with your spiritual growth in Christ's likeness, just right now, you take an evaluation, you say, yeah, I'm not really too satisfied. Well, here's my challenge. Take the four goals of edification that we're going to be talking about here in the next uh, next what forty minutes, and evaluate your commitment level to each one. Just evaluate your commitment level to each one. You say I want to grow more. Well, commit a little bit more in one or more of these areas. There are four. Goal number one: commit to the Word of God. Now we've talked about this a lot, okay? And I've got a I've got a couple of references I'm going to give you, but a disciple us, following Jesus Christ, if we want to grow, if we want to see God edify us, we need to be committed, consistently committed to both learning the Bible and doing what it says. Okay, Colossians 1.28. We'll start here, and then I'm going to go back over to Luke. Paul says in Colossians 1.28, whom we preach... Warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So being presented perfect in Christ Jesus is based on or requires teaching every man in all wisdom. You cannot become all that God wants you to be, perfect in Christ Jesus, without receiving the teaching of the Word of God. So, in order to grow in Christ, in order to be edified in Christ, you have to be committed to both learning and doing what the Bible says. Learning and doing what the Bible says. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verses 46 to 49. Okay, this is another passage. I know you'll recognize it once I start reading it. Okay, Luke chapter 6, verse 46 to 49. The Bible says, And why call ye me Lord, Lord? and do not the things which I say. Whosoever cometh to me, and heareth my sayings, and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built built an house, and digged deep, and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house, and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth, and doeth not... Is like a man that without a foundation built an house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. And so following the Lord implies both hearing and doing his word, learning and applying what the scripture says. That's Second Timothy three, sixteen and seventeen. You know, the Bible says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof, uh, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So in order for spiritual growth to occur, in order to be perfected in the Lord Jesus Christ, a disciple must learn doctrine. All scriptures given by inspirations. Profitable for doctrine first. But then with that doctrine, the, the disciple needs to be committed to applying what he's learning through the reproof and correction and instruction God gives him through the doctrine he's learning. And that means that we're going to use Scripture as God-designed. That's 2 Timothy 2.15. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God. Study, obviously, refers to an academic kind of study. We've got to learn the Bible in an academic way, but it means study to, to apply yourself. You know, study to be quiet, Thessalonians says. Well, it means to actively apply yourself to think about it and do it. So study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman, work at it, that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So take the word of truth and learn it in its context, context rightly divided, and then do it, apply it, be, be intentional about it, like study to be quiet, be, be proactive, think about it, diligent. How do you do that? And so this goal, commitment to the word of God, it touches on at least two Of the means of edification. Okay? Two of the means of edification knowledge of the Bible and obedience to the Bible. Knowledge of the Bible. Think about it. We ought to be committed, consistently committed. When I say consistently, I want you to think daily. We ought to be committed to growing in our knowledge of Scripture always. It is never enough when it comes to Bible knowledge. Learn the Bible and when you've learned the bible learn more of the bible okay and then obedience the best follow up advice you could give anybody in any witness encounter is this learn the bible do what it tells you that's the christian life okay that's that that's it learn the bible and do what it tells you but without a commitment to the word of god you're not going to grow So if we want to continue to grow, if we want to continue to make a greater and greater, we want a greater greater impact in the Bible, we need to learn it and obey it. It needs to be, that just needs to be part of our lives, okay? Like you get up and you brush your teeth, okay? That should be part of your daily routine. We also need to get up and spend time in the Word of God, learning the Bible and seeking out ways we can intentionally, diligently apply what we're learning. And so I'm going to throw in a little side note here, okay, a little side note with, with, within this, this context of learning and doing the Word of God. This is one of the major regi- reasons that I believe we need new churches. Um, I was a church planter down in, in Latin America. God has changed my ministry somewhat so far up here in the United States, but so many of our churches today, are in a mess. If you think about the conservative traditional churches, so many conservative traditional churches have become so focused on maintaining their institutionalized programs that they've died. They're more committed to maintenance than to the mission God gave us. I'm not saying that we need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Traditional and conservative churches have a core of beliefs and practices that I think we need to maintain. But so many churches focus on, well, that's the way we've always done it, that that way we've always done it is where all their, their energy and efforts and resources go. They, they invest in this, the same programs, the same things, the same events, the, the, it's just maintenance and maintenance and maintenance of the same thing, and their churches die. And so on the other side of the spectrum, we have the modern church, okay, with all of its crazy, wacky music and light shows and fog machines and theater seats and coffee shops and and skinny jeans. I mean, it's just ridiculous, and they get so focused on this entertainment aspect of the event. You know, we want you to experience Christianity or experience Jesus or experience, and it's this emotional hype. Well, that's all the way on the other end of the spectrum. They don't teach by expository preaching. They, they have no depth in their ministries because all they want is basically a little self-help 20-minute ditty on Sunday mornings with good music and, and hey, y'all come back next week so we can pat ourselves on the back and think we're growing the kingdom. Now, our churches are dead, so here's, I mean, this is my opinion. I Take it. If you want or not, you know, it's my podcast, it's my episode, and I'm going to take five minutes to get on my wee bitty soapbox and throw my opinion out there and say we need new local churches. We need churches that that have broken free from the either the entertainment-oriented um, paradigm or from the, the death-by-maintenance paradigm of our traditional churches, and we need local bodies of believers who are committed, committed to learning the Bible— teaching and preaching the Bible systematically, intentionally, and then intentionally doing what it tells us to do. Simple churches with one simple mission, to be and make disciples, evangelizing the lost and edifying the saved, and doing both of those things. Look, I know I've said it a lot. You might get tired of hearing the Word, but intentionally. I want to be part of a ministry. I want to be part of a church that intentionally evangelizes the lost and that means systematically that means establishing a program that means budgeting resources that means seeking out ways that we can reach the people in our community each and every household with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and doing that in a way that is intentional that that is constant that there's consistency with that and then on the other on the other end edifying believers and God said look God said that edification comes I mean, we're we're looking at it right now. It starts through it starts through the Word of God. and a local church has to be committed to teaching the Word of God in a systematic way. Yeah, uh, members of a local church need to have some program, some established structure to give them the the basics of the content of the Bible. And then that needs to be continually reinforced through the expository preaching of Scripture every week, Sundays, and I don't know, care if Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesdays, you say three to thrive, hey man, I, uh, give it Bible, and sow the seed, edify the believers, and I think God will be pleased. And so that's going to lead us to our next goal. That's my soapbox. I'm going to get down off my, my soapbox. We need a commitment to the Word of God, and because of that, I think we need some new churches. I think we need simple churches committed to intentional evangelism and biblical edification. But that also means, and this is that, that this is our goal number two, that we need a commitment to the local church. Okay, commitment to the local church. Now, during our church age, God has established the local church as His institution, His organization, or the organism through which He is accomplishing His plan and purpose. First um, Timothy three fourteen and fifteen speaks to this. It says, Paul talking to Timothy, obviously Timothy who is a a senior pastor there of the local church in Ephesus. It says, 1 Timothy, where am I at? 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. These things I write unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So the local church, okay, the church like like Timothy was pastoring, the local assembly, local congregation, is what God calls the pillar and ground of the truth. It is the essential and necessary structure for following Christ today. The pillar and ground of the truth. And only when a saint commits to a local church Okay, commits and submits himself to, to a leadership structure of a local church, a biblical structure, will he grow? Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. The Bible says, Ephesians four eleven, and he, Jesus Christ, gave some apostles, we call them missionaries, and some prophets, we call them preachers, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. There's your structure, your leadership structure, within the local church, the pillar and ground of the truth. These men, in verse 11, are given for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And so the saint will not be perfected unless he is submitted to the structure of the local church and the leaders of the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And if he's not submitted to the structure of a local church, he's not going to be perfected. If he's not perfected, he's not going to be ready for the work of the ministry. And if we don't do the work of the ministry, the body of Christ will not be edified. And so we need to be committed to a local church. And again, look, I understand. There's good churches out there and there's bad churches. I think there's a whole lot more bad churches than good churches and good churches. They are getting fewer and fewer as the years go by. That does not change our need to be part of a local church. It's better to be part of a local church that is not all that it should be than to try and be a Lone Ranger Christian. That doesn't work. Because, listen, it's here in the local church—think about just this—two ordinances. God gave the church two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Through these ordinances given to the local church is where we identify with Christ. Okay, one of the means, primary means of edification. We identify with Christ initially through baptism. Okay? It's a public declaration of our new life and submission and obedience to Christ. It's like uh, it guards the door of the local church. So we become a Christian, we're baptized as a public uh, declaration. I have been, I, I'm dead to, to sin and self, and I am alive to Jesus Christ. baptism. And then we identify with Christ regularly through the Lord's Supper. As oft as you will, says Paul, it's another public declaration to a, a local body that we're Walking with the Lord in holiness, or at least doing our best to do that. So, to be a disciple, you need to commit to forming part of a biblical local church. And if you say, "Well, I can't find a biblical local church," well, thank you. Send me an email, and we'll we'll start a club, okay? Um, because they're few and far between biblical local churches that are actually committed to biblical discipleship. You know, evangelism and edification. Um, it's tough. It's tough. But if you can't find the perfect church. Well, you need to find a church, okay? We need to be part of a local church. And uh, to also make disciples, we need to help other believers do the same. So if I can do that and help you, exhort you, look, just find a church. That's the best you can get. And get in it and get involved, okay? Get involved. Do the work of evangelism. Do the work of edification. Do something. It's like this. When we gather together as a congregation... There's two things that take place that are essential to growth, and there's you know, two things take place um, through two specific groups. First, through pastors, and then second, through members. Okay, now now think about this: pastors. The pastors are God's ministers to a congregation, um, and it's through the pastors of a congregation that God will minister to us. And so, God has a very specific role that He wants pastors to to play. And in, uh, let's just we're going to look to look at a couple of passages: Acts chapter 20. Verses twenty-eight to thirty-two, in Acts chapter twenty, verse thirty-eight um, or verse twenty-eight to thirty-two, Paul is kind of exhorting. He's talking to the to the pastors, the elders of the local church in Ephesus, and he says this: Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves, and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God. So you see, here's here is how God feeds the church of God through the overseers, through the pastors, through the elders. Um, And he says, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And so there's another thing that the pastors do. They protect us. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them, which shows us a need for a plurality of leadership and not just one guy. Okay, one guy, senior pastor, should work with other elders, other pastors, to, uh, to take care of the flock so that we can keep each other accountable. Therefore watch, Paul says, and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now brethren, these are the pastors, elders, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. And so Paul says very clearly, the pastor, or the pastors, if you want to think of it that way, but the pastor is the one who has been given the responsibility by God to feed the flock, the local congregation, and also to fend off the wolves. So without us being committed to a local church— we are going to be malnourished because we are not going to get fed the way God wants us to be fed, and then we're going to be easy prey for the enemy through the wolves, the false teachers, and the people who will draw us away and destroy our lives. Okay, the next passage is First Timothy four. First Timothy four, and First Timothy four verses eleven to sixteen, we see uh, the good minister. Okay, here's a passage that talks about the good minister, and again, Paul talking to Timothy, Timothy whom he establishes as a senior pastor working with other pastors in a team in the local church at Ephesus. He says, "These things command and teach," for Timothy 4:11, "Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in, in spirit, in faith, in purity." Till I come Paul says, "Give attendance to reading, to exhortation, To doctrine, neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate on these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. And so the pastor is the one that God has placed in the body of Christ to teach doctrine to exhort the saints, to, to, to read the Bible, to exhort the saints to obey it, to give himself wholly to these things, Okay, the teaching and exhortation that comes through the Bible. It's the same thing that we have seen over and over in this key passage at the end of the last book that Paul wrote. 2 Timothy 3.15 to 4.5, okay? This is, I mean, when Paul gives his final instruction to Timothy, Paul knows he's going to die, and he's talking to Timothy. He's writing him his final instructions. He says, all Scripture—I'm sorry, I'll start in 15. Second Timothy 3.15, and that from a child, Timothy, thou hast known the holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And he says, all Scripture—OK, okay, Genesis to Revelation, look, all Scripture— is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. I charge thee, Pastor Timothy, I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, and is appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, he says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist make full proof of thy ministry. And so the pastor's the one that God placed in the body of Christ to teach us doctrine, and then to exhort us to obey that doctrine. The pastor is the one who feeds the sheep, and then the pastor is the one who fends off the wolves who would destroy the sheep. The local church provides this necessary pastoral structure and this pastoral structure not only is for our teaching and exhortation, teaching us and helping us to obey to obey the Bible and do what it says so that we grow in Christ, it's also the necessary instruction for, for church discipline. Now think about this. Look, spiritual growth requires a strong commitment to a local church because— Part of the growth process, just like with children, uh, young children, teenagers, especially this this process of exhortation eventually needs a little correction. Who hasn't received correction in their lives? You know, um, stop doing it this way, start doing it that way. Okay, stop stealing and start working for money. Okay, we, we get corrected throughout life without without being committed to a local church what happens is that the disciple who receives exhortation and then correction including church discipline at times it's uncomfortable what is what is he going to do he's going to pack up and leave and then he's going to go look for another church and then he's going to flit from one church to the other looking for wherever he can feel comfortable and so many today have forsaken the local church and they actually think that they can grow in Christ by listening to sermons online And yeah, I know, that might be kind of funny coming from a guy who's got a podcast, and I'm going to have more to say about that at the end of this episode, okay? So please listen to the end, or at least jump to the end, um, right before my music and stuff kicks in. I've got a couple of uh, favors I need to ask of you. But we cannot grow that way. You can't grow just by listening to sermons online. Sermons online are just like books about the Bible. I mean, they help us. I get it but you can't go to church virtually because that that doesn't result in spiritual growth because there's no accountability there's no personal relationship with a pastor there's no personal relationship with other people who can get into your business there's no church discipline okay we need to be committed to a local church because we need a pastor or pastors, okay? A pastor who will teach us the Bible. You know, I don't care if he's a good program manager or not. I don't really care if he's personable or not. I want a pastor who spends his time learning, teaching, and preaching the Bible. Somebody who can exhort me to to apply what he's teaching me and even correct me when I need it. Pastors. And so we go to church for the pastor, this this pastoral structure that God established in the local church to teach us, to exhort us, to correct us, to discipline us if we need it. But also, we need the members of a local church. Okay, we need the members of the local church. Why? Well, listen, God ministers to the congregation through the members just like he ministers to us through the congregation. The members of the local church are members of a local body. I mean, we're uniquely joined together. In the the passage that talks about this, and we're not going to get into the details, is First Corinthians chapter twelve and a little bit in chapter fourteen. But in in First Corinthians twelve, it's where, where Paul talks about he talks about the body of Christ. Okay, he talks about the members being. Uh, you know, the body of Christ, and each of us has the, the gifts and, and the things that God has given us to participate, and each member participates, you know, the eye is not the ear, and the ear is not the hand, and we need this diversity of gifts and talents and callings in the body of Christ. The, the members of a local church were joined together, uniquely fitted, joined together, so that we can participate in the, in the work that God has us to do. In the local churches, is where God will manifest himself through each member, each and every one of us, so that we profit with all, he says, so that there's some profit, which, which in 1 Corinthians 14.26 is, is edification. Paul says, do everything unto edifying. Everything that we do when we gather together as a body, every member, everything that we do should be two, to this end. Edification. And so that means that God has designed it to where in the church age, you, you simply cannot grow in edification like God wants you to if you don't form part of a local church, and if you don't attend regularly and participate as a member. I need the ministry of the other members of my local church, just like my local church, if it wants to recognize it or not, needs my participation. Because I'm a member of that church, that's how God designed it. You know, so many times we get so, so boxed in to our thinking of, well, you know, well, what can I do in a local church? Well, you need to get busy doing this. You need to get busy doing that. You need to do this. And we, we have these programs that we think we need to maintain. I would say just look out on the members. What do your members want to do, and how can we evangelize and edify through what these members want to do or can do, what they're gifted to do? So instead of focusing on the structure— we focus on the, the the disciple, and then as that disciple grows, we provide him the structure that he needs to do his ministry even better. So we need to be committed members of local churches to grow as God designed. And I want to say this also, and this is, uh, I don't know if you kind of find it funny, I think it's it's just, uh, it's just reality— um, the local church plays a very key role in our suffering. You, you remember, suffering and enduring suffering faithfully is one of the means by which God takes us through to conform us to the image of Christ. We we have to suffer. Now, obviously, we suffer out in the world, um, but we also suffer in the local church. It's a, it's a family, right? Local church is our spiritual family, and I know you have a physical family because you weren't hatched, okay? You weren't um, born in a test tube. You got a mom and dad. You might even have siblings. You know, that maybe they passed away or moved away. Um, but we all have a family. We know what families are like. And families are more often uh, characterized by friction than anything else. And so the local church is our spiritual family, brothers and sisters in Christ. And I, even though I don't like it, you know, a lot of times we use it as a title. We get in, we talk about the brethren, brother, 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 and sister, 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 and sister so-and-so, and brother so-and-so, and we use it like a title, you know. Um, it's kind of weird. But there are brothers and sisters in Christ. And and I tell you what, we will suffer with our spiritual brothers and sisters, just like we suffered growing up and trying to get along with our physical brothers and sisters. You have to learn to get along. Haven't you ever heard that? You know, mom or dad sits you down and sticks that finger in your face, and he says, he or she says, you need to just learn to get along. Well, yeah, that's part of growing up. We need to learn to get along with each other, and that's Colossians 3.13. In Colossians 3.13, Paul says, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. You see, the local church, God uses problems that we have between, ours, between us and, and other people. He uses those problems to teach us To learn to get along, to grow in Christ-likeness, to grow in forgiveness, to grow in mercy, to grow in grace, to grow in love, to learn how to accept people that we might not really like. And so we need to go to church because the church is where we learn to get along with the brethren and be Christ-like in our attitudes of forgiveness and all of that. But also the church, is it should be a refuge for us from the suffering that we endure in the world, Okay we ought to be able to attend a local church and know it's safe. We ought to attend a local church and know, hey, this is a place where, where I can rest and recuperate, you know, recharge my batteries and get back out into the world and preach the gospel to the lost. And So if we want to grow in Christ, we need a strong commitment to the church, a local church, okay? We will not be edified together, edified one with another, unless we're we're committed. Now, let me read one more passage to you and then we'll move on to goal number three. Okay, this is Ephesians two nineteen to twenty-two. Because I think this uses a phrase that's very important in this context. Okay, we need a strong commitment to a local church. Ephesians two nineteen to twenty-two. Ephesians two nineteen says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building, fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Folks, we're built together. I mean, whether we like it or not, edification occurs when the members of a local church gather together and they minister one to another in the love of Jesus Christ. And so, Without a growing commitment, without a consistent commitment to one local church, we're just not going to grow in Christ the way the Lord has designed. And so that's goal number two. Goal number one, we need a commitment to the Word of God. Goal number two, we need a commitment to the local church. Goal number three, we need a commitment to the fellowship of the saints. Now, this is a little different than, than the last one. We're we're not talking about committing to the structure of a local church. We're not, we're not talking about committing to a Local gathering and assembly congregation of other believers, okay, on a regular basis. We're not talking about that. We're talking about fellowship of the saints, okay? Think about my best buddy is a Christian. You know, think about I want to spend more time with him, that Christian, because I want to be more like him. And this principle is a principle that's found in Proverbs, um, Proverbs 13.20, okay? Zipping back to to Proverbs. Let me get there and I'll read it to you. Proverbs 13.20. And the Bible says, Proverbs 13, 20, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. If we want to grow in Christ, this is the principle. We need friends who are zealous, passionate, and committed Christians. Okay, Christians who are more mature than we are. Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say something. Okay, this is totally not in my notes. But I'm going to tell you something, and whether, whether you think it's true or not, I would just challenge you, check it out. One of the things that will destroy your fellowship with the saints more than anything is social media. Okay? Because you will get on social media. Facebook, um, Snapchat, Instagram, Pinterest, I don't care what it is. It's all that social media you will get on there and you'll make friends. You know, you'll have 1,283 friends on Facebook, and you'll interact with these friends through posts, and you'll like this, and you'll share that, and you'll giggle about it. And then maybe once in a blue moon, you know, you'll bump into the friend that you have on Facebook, and you'll say, hey, and then you'll go on your way and continue your relationship through social media. You will never grow in in Christ with with that kind of quote-unquote friendship, because that social media is distancing you from true fellowship. You need personal interaction. You need to see, you need to be able to see physically how your friend in Jesus Christ lives what his commitment is like, what interests him, what what irritates it, you need to see how he lives, the decisions he makes. You need a real life, okay? Social media, IRL in real life. You need friends. If we want to grow in Christ, we need friends, real friends, real life friends. We need to put away the social media because it's distancing us from one another. distancing us. If you have not watched the documentary, Okay, I'll plug it. You need to watch The Social Dilemma. The Social Dilemma. And then you need to start reading other articles and books about the damage social media is doing to our society, our families, and to us as individuals. And I'm telling you, cell phones and social media have destroyed the Fellowship of the Saints. You're listening to me on this podcast, okay? Some of you know me, most of you probably don't. Those of you that know me, how much time have you spent with me personally over lunch or dinner or out street preaching? How much time have you spent with me in the last three months but yet how much how much interaction have we had online? You probably know what I'm doing. you probably know what's going on at my job. You probably know what's irritated me lately, um, because I've mentioned it to you in an email or, or a text message or something like that. But how much time have we spent together? Now there's the problem. Now I'll say it again. If we want to grow in Christ, we need friends who are zealous, passionate, and committed Christians, Christians who are more mature than we are, or at least Christians who are zealous, passionate and committed and that challenge us. And we need to spend time, real time, not social media time. Folks, that's not good. That's that's dividing us. We need to put away the social media. Stop thinking that we have 1283 friends because we don't. Social media does not give you friends. Okay? We need to surround ourselves with one or two, a handful of solid, zealous, passionate, committed Christians. We need to spend time with them. That's the kind of fellowship that will motivate us. Social media does not motivate us. It's fake. It's fake. If you want to see what I'm like, spend time with me. Don't think that you can learn about me from social media. You can't. If you want to know what I'm like, you need to spend time with me. We need to go out on the streets together. We need to have breakfast together. We should have lunch together. We should do things together. And then you'll see what a kind of a person I am. That's the kind of fellowship we need. We need with Christians, other Christians, passionate, zealous, committed Christians. Because look, passion and zeal are more caught than taught. If you want passion, if you want zeal, spend time with passionate and zealous people because it's going to rub off on you. But if you find yourself, now look, right now, if you find yourself without passion, without zeal, if you kind find yourself right now kind of blah in your Christian walk, have you spent more time quote-unquote fellowshipping through social media than fellowshipping in real life? Because if you have, you're not going to be motivated. That's not how God designed it. God designed it so that we spend time together. That's the kind of fellowship that will provide us with real-life examples we can follow, that we can imitate, that we can spend time with so it rubs off, and we can say to God, I want to be more like Him. And then we strive to be more like Him, not more like His Facebook persona, which again, is fake. That's not how people are. We need to listen to the teaching of the Word of God, but then we need to see it in action in other people. That's why Paul said, hey, be followers of me as I am of Jesus Christ. We need to follow other believers, and without a solid, consistent commitment to real-life fellowship with other flesh-and-blood Christians, we will not grow. We're just going to stagnate. And if you're stagnant, well, let me, let me ask you this. Let me challenge you. Close all of your social media accounts. Close them down. Turn them off. Erase them. And then find somebody locally who challenges you in your walk with Christ. And meet with him or her regularly. Once a week. Once every other week. Once a month even and go through a Bible study together. Plan some evangelism together. Have pancakes together. Who doesn't like pancakes? And then just talk about your quiet time, what God's given you. That will do more for you with one committed Christian than all of your stupid social media accounts together. Close them and find a real-life Christian to be friends with. I challenge you to do it. So, so that's, that's what it's going to look like. Find a committed Christian. Find somebody that you want to spend time with. Find somebody that you say, you know, I want to be, I be more, more like him. So that's what we need. We need examples in our life. We need to find people. It's iron sharpening iron, okay? You've heard that before, Proverbs 27, 17. We need to spend time with other other committed Christians so that iron can sharpen iron. We need to get off the social media, Come on, folks, it's killing us. I'm telling you, it's killing us. We're we're dying on the vine because this is a goal God has established. In order to grow in Jesus Christ, we have to commit to the fellowship of the saints. And you cannot have fellowship with a saint through social media. You have to be together bodily, in real life. That's just how it works. So iron can sharpen iron. 1 Corinthians 15.33 Be not deceived. Evil communication corrupts good manners. You see, you spend your time in real life. Where? The vast majority of your day. Where do you spend it? At work. Are there other committed Christians that work around you, that challenge you in your walk with Jesus Christ? If so, you should thank God that you've got that kind of fellowship with the saints. I would venture to say... Most of your day is spent around secular humanists, agnostic in their faith, if even that— That's the kind of fellowship you have, and that's the kind of fellowship that will drag you down. Evil communication corrupt good manners. You want to be wise? Spend some time with wise people. You want to be a committed Christian? Spend time with committed Christians. You want to be a good street preacher? Spend time with good street preachers. You want to be a good expository preacher? Spend time with an expository preacher. And not on YouTube! You're not going to grow in Jesus Christ through social media. Spend time with people, that's a key to living the life that God wants you to live. That's a key to growing in Jesus Christ, because it's the third of the four goals that God established. If you are not committed to fellowship with the saints, physical fellowship, offline, okay, outside of the internet, outside of social media, you are not going to grow. You're going to stagnate. So just take an evaluation of your life. Are you stagnant in your walk with the Lord? If you are, I guarantee you're going to have a problem here. And I guarantee you're spending more time on social media than you are in fellowship with a saint. And you'll never grow without the fellowship of the saints. Now this takes us to goal number four commitment to ministry. You know, discipleship is the process of being conformed to the image of our Master, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came unto this earth to seek and to save the lost. And even even though he's back in heaven, he ascended unto heaven in Acts chapter 1, he has not stopped doing that same work, okay? He's doing the work through his Spirit, and he is doing the work through his ambassadors, us. So we should walk as Jesus walked, we need a lifestyle like the lifestyle of Jesus. First, first John two six. I want to I want to talk just a little bit about we're finishing this up. I know I kind of went long, but we're finishing this up. I want to talk about Romans eight sixteen and seventeen, because in Romans eight sixteen and seventeen, Paul says Romans eight sixteen. Let's see, there it is. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that way we may be glorified together. Now that suffering with Jesus in this passage, okay, it's a it's a condition. Okay. We can be joint heirs with Christ. We can receive our inheritance, the recompense of inheritance at the judgment seat of Christ, if so be that we suffer with him. Okay? Suffer with Christ. What does that mean? Well, that that doesn't mean that we have to be, you know, whipped and beaten and crucified. Suffering with Christ is simply to labor with him. What is he doing that is his labor? You think about labor, you know, plowing a field. Plowing a field. Jesus Christ is plowing a field. He is sowing the seed. He is turning the the earth. He's he's working. He's laboring. He's suffering, okay? So to labor and to suffer with Christ is to labor with him under the same yoke, in the same field, doing the same work as he is doing. What's Christ doing in the world today? He's making disciples through evangelism and edification. And so we need to grow, consistently grow in our commitment to the work of the ministry that God gave us. We need a greater and greater commitment to evangelism, because if not, we're going to stagnate in our spiritual growth. We need to always set new goals and challenges for ourselves to do more, to be more systematic, to be more intentional, to do different things, to do more things. And again, look, look, I, I just... It's not going to happen without a local church and Fellowship of the Saints. It's not. You can be Mr. Lone Ranger Christian for, for a while... And then you just peter out and you get tired of it. We need a local church because we need that structure where we can pool our resources, where each member can participate in intentionally evangelizing the lost and in setting up programs and budgets and tools and uh, different ideas to, to, to reach the lost. And then we need to set up you know, programs and and preaching schedules and and materials so that we can edify the saints through expository preaching, systematic teaching of the Word of God, and and helping believers in a in their walk with the Lord, and, and that that entails that structure. That structure has to be filled with with real people. We can't do it online. Podcasts and YouTube videos don't cut it. We need to be in fellowship one with another greater commitment to evangelism. We need a greater commitment to edification. Greater commitment to edification in our own lives, to to be edified, to be committed to a local church where it can be edified, to be committed to the Word of God, to learn it, to do it, to be edified, to be more committed to fellowship with a real saint so we can be edified. And then we need to help others do that that ministry of edification just to help somebody else in their knowledge of the Bible and in their obedience to the Bible to have fellowship with another real person in real life to help them grow in their commitment to the local church, grow in that commitment to fellowship so that they can in turn go out and evangelize and, and, and edify somebody. The churches we have today are not cutting it. The churches we have today are either dead in their maintenance over mission or they're dead in their entertainment-oriented paradigm, and I don't want anything to do with them. We need simple churches, folks. We need churches where there's real people. We don't need virtual church. Please, stop it. Stop Get get off Facebook, man. Get off YouTube. Get off of this, this junk. You're not going to learn anything. And I'm getting to the point. I, I told you I was going to ask you for some for some advice at the end of my— uh, or some feedback is what I want at the end of this podcast, this episode. But this is what we need. We need real-life ministry. We need to spend time with each other, off of social media, on the streets, going door-to-door, around the Bible. Man, plowing through a book together. Pick a book and let's go through a book together, a book on theology, a book on evangelism. I don't know, but we need fellowship. We need good churches. Churches that are simple in structure so that we can commit ourselves and, and commit our resources to reaching the lost and edifying the saved. Our life's mission, if we've seen nothing else, we, we've seen this. We started with this in this whole series on discipleship. This is our life's mission. It's simple, to glorify God and join forever. And to fulfill that purpose, we have to do the work that God gave us to do. And that work is our mission. And our mission is to be and make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's just that simple. So we need to be saved, and we need to be committed to following Christ and growing in Him, and then we need to evangelize the lost and edify other believers' ministry so that we can make disciples. A disciple is made through evangelism. He becomes a disciple through evangelism. And then he's made into Christ's image. He's molded through, through, in Christ's image through this process of edification. And so together, evangelism and edification, together salvation and sanctification, is what we call discipleship. It's not a program. It's our way of life in Jesus Christ. It's a reason why we're here. It's God restoring his lost image that was lost when Adam first sinned. Discipleship. So how are you doing? How are you doing? How is your commitment to the Scripture? Are you learning the Bible and obeying what it says consistently? How's your commitment to a local church? Have you found a good one? Have you committed to it? How is your commitment to the fellowship with other zealous, mature saints, offline, out of social media, real fellowship, flesh and blood? How's your commitment to the fellowship with other saints? Somebody who challenges you. How's your commitment to the ministry? Are you evangelizing the lost? Are you edifying the saved? Are you in a church that's committed to that? Are you in fellowship with other believers who are committed to that? Folks, that's our way of life. That's what we're here to do. Now I want to ask you for a favor. I'm done, okay? I'm done, I'm done with my, my message. I'm done with the, the, the episode, And we're actually done with the series, this whole thing on discipleship, this done. I've got two more episodes, or two more messages, they might extend more than one episode, but I've got two more things I want to say. I want to take a closer look at the Great Commission, and then I want to take a a look after we learn about the Great Commission, I want to look at it doctrinally, I want to look at it very specifically in detail, and take some time and take a couple episodes, maybe one or two, and talk about a very detailed analysis, doctrinal analysis of the Great Commission, so that we can avoid problems and errors and misconceptions and misapplications because that's the other thing I want to talk about. I want to talk about anachronisms. Anachronisms in the Great Commission. Very, very, very common in the church today with its sloppy application of Scripture, with its sloppy approach to to doctrine, with its just sloppy commitment to scripture. We need to we need to shore this up. We need to take a good hard look with this base that we've we've set down with with our understanding of discipleship. We can now—we have the tools, we got the understanding, we've got the foundation—to go back and take a very, very close and detailed look at the Great Commission and then use that to evaluate the application of the Great Commission in our lives to avoid anachronisms. Okay. Now, here's the favor. I am evaluating whether or not to, uh, to, to keep this podcast going. Okay, I, I think I made a pretty big deal in this episode about social media and online Christianity, and I think it's destroying our fellowship. I think that destruction in our fellowship is also affecting our local churches, and I think this whole um, push with COVID and the coronavirus—I um, think you know—moving things online uh, is a bad, bad. Mistake. I think it is destroying local churches. It's destroying fellowship. There are Christians who stay in their houses, locked up, and watch uh, preachers on YouTube and think that they're actually being edified in Christ, and we're not. So um, I mentioned it before. This discipleship series is kind of a, a kind of a trial balloon for me. I wanted to see how the podcast actually worked. If it could, you know, be a means to to get the Bible out there. Frankly, it's it's more of a more of a way for me to structure my Bible studies, so it gives me something to prepare for. So in that sense, the podcast is a success. It helps me to know that, hey, on the weekend, I got to do a podcast, so I need to study something out and, and formalize my study and write it down so that I could preach it or teach it somewhere. Um, and I, I did it on this podcast, and so um, that, that's that was my main idea. With the podcast, I wanted to, I wanted to test drive this thing with the series on discipleship. It's something I've taught before, and I worked it out in Spanish. I wanted to do that, so this podcast helped me work it out in Spanish. And then here we are, you and me, where we're doing this podcast. I need your feedback. Okay, I need you to write me an email. If you got my phone number, I'm on Signal, uh, secure messenger. Uh, looking at some more secure ways to communicate with people outside of social media. Um, if you got my phone number send me a text message or shoot me an email. Uh, but but let me know, do you like it? The 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 podcast? Do you like the teaching? Is it something that you'd like more of or not? I want positive comments, I want negative comments. I what what do you like? What do you don't like? Is it understandable? Do I talk too fast? Am I jumping from one thing to another? Is it easy to understand? Is it hard to understand? Do you think I'm a heretic? Um, do you think I'm a hyper dispensationalist that ought to just shut up and and get off the airwaves? I want to hear from you, okay? So please help me, okay? Like I said, I've got a couple more topics I want to talk on. And during that time, I am going to decide whether or not I am going to continue with this podcast. I need your feedback, Okay? I'm asking you to help me. I need your feedback. I want you to send me an email. Um, You can find my email address on my website. If you go to theology101.net, there is a page called Contact. It's right up at the top. Click on it, and there's a contact form, or you can send me an email. My email is greg, that's my first name, g-r-e-g, at the at sign, theology101.net. So, Greg at theology101.net. And theology101 is all one word, just theology101, string it all together, no hyphens, no underlines, theology101.net. Greg at theology101.net. Okay? So, please, give me some feedback. Um, With a podcast, look, I'm sitting here in my house, and I'm talking to a computer. I, I, I don't know if I should be, you know, continue to do this or not. I don't know if I'm adding to the mess that was made with the coronavirus and everything moving online or not. Um, we need local churches, and we need to spend time together uh, physically in ministry, in fellowship, around the Bible, um, around meals. We need to be with each other, and even if if you have, like I said, uh, we need to trade the thousands of friends we think we have on Facebook for one or two real friends in real life, and step away from the social media. Just get rid of it. That's not God's plan. It's not. If you read the Bible, it's just not. Um, I know we can use it to get teaching out there, and I, I understand. That's why I'm asking for your feedback. Okay, I need your feedback. I want to hear from you. Iron Sharpeneth iron. Let me know. Okay. So thanks for listening to me. Um, I hope you'll come back for more. The next time uh, we get together, uh, set the you know set the parking brake because I want to dive into the Great Commission and hopefully I can bake your noodle a little bit and give you something to think about. But it's going to be Bible. Okay, I want to talk about the Bible, the Great Commission, in detail and doctrinally. Okay, So have a good one, and thanks for listening. Thanks for spending your time listening to my podcast, Theology 101. Simple is better, and it's just not that difficult to learn the Bible so we can do what it tells us. You can find the rest of my studies in English out on my website, theology101.net. And if you do Spanish... Tengo más de 15 años de estudios bíblicos disponibles en mi sitio web, teología101.net. If you'd like to contact me, there's a contact page on my website. You're also more than welcome to visit me any Sunday that you wish. My church information is also out on my website. Remember what Nicholas von Zinzendorf always said, Preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. Learn the Bible, do what it tells you, and come back for more Theology 101.